Welcome to the Beyond Banky's Gardening Podcast, bringing you interviews with gardeners, plant lovers, and other industry experts. With you by our side, we are growing forward together and nurturing the minds and souls of gardeners both new and old. Check us out at our website, beyondbankies.com. Now, your host for today's podcast, former vice president of Banky Nurseries and the proud granddaughter of its founders, Albert and Rose Banky. Here is Stephanie Fleming. Hi, everybody. My name's Stephanie Fleming, and I'd like you to welcome you to the episode five of the Beyond Banky's Gardening Podcast. Can you believe it's June already? This year seems to be flying by so fast. Wasn't it just yesterday? We were all so excited about spring, and it was coming, and after that long winter, and now we're close to the first day of summer. Anyhow, I hope you've had time to go visit your local independent garden centers this season and let me know which ones you like going to on our new forum. Let me know where you like to shop, what kind of plants you got this year. That'd be great. So anyhow, today's podcast is going to be all about bees. And bees are a very necessary part of our ecosystem. And it's a common sighting around humans and animals. And why a lot of people might fear bees because of the stinging or maybe they're allergic to them. Bees are very valuable pollinators that contribute to the balance of the ecosystem and the health of all living things. So before we close Banky's, we had put in a pollinator garden at the nursery. It was a huge undertaking, and it showed the customers what type of plants worked and what it would look like when it was completed. And many of you went on and did your own pollinator gardens. And of course, now you can go to your local garden centers, and they'll help you find the correct plants for your own pollinator gardens. But let's get on to our guest. I met our next guest years ago and have enjoyed watching her family grow. I think that's what makes Facebook so wonderful. A few years ago, she and her husband bought a farm in Carroll County. A little while ago, while chatting, a conversation went from her new goats joining their farm to raising bees. And I invited her to be my guest this month and to share with us information on the course she has been taking on beekeeping and what it takes to start a small business. I'd like to welcome Kate Fisher, the owner of Bumbling Bee apiary. Hey, Kate, how are you? And welcome to Beyond Banky's Gardening Podcast. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm doing good. And I'm happy that you invited me to join you today. Oh, well, let's get to this. So, Kate, you know how surprised I was when you told me you were doing bees. I want to know what sparked your interest in beekeeping? What got you into this? I've always loved gardening. And before we moved to the farm, my husband and I, we had a, a small house on a postage stamp sized lot in town in Westminster. And even on our small lot, we made the most of it with doing as much gardening as we possibly could, both with flowers and then also with vegetables. And so it was important for me even then to try to make sure that we were encouraging pollinators in our yard, whether it be bees or moths or butterflies. And so when we moved to the farm, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to expand on that and also to start a new hobby and something else that would produce food for our family and products for us to sell. That just sounds really interesting. Kate, what can people do? I know there's a a problem and it's been a big thing at Banky's. We talked about it. What can people do to save the bees? So I kind of want to touch on the whole Save the Bees movement since you've brought that up. And it's it's been interesting because the poster child for Save the Bees is always the honeybee. And not everybody realizes that the honeybee species that most beekeepers raise is not native to the U.S. So most of the time 
they are European honeybees. And they were brought over with the earliest settlers. So at this point, they're naturalized, but they're not the, the originals. So even though there are annual colony losses in the United States, and that those are documented, there's an organization called the Bee Informed Partnership that does a lot of research and collects statistics and analyzes data. In reality, the honeybee, because of how many people are interested in raising bees, is not the one that's in danger. But it's the one that's widely accepted because people see it and they're like, oh, it's the honeybee. They're known to be gentle. They produce this delicious honey that we like to consume. They make wax and all of those things. But in reality, the bees that are in trouble are the native bees. And there's more than 20,000 species of bees around the globe and 3,600 that are native right here in the United States. So We'll take the honeybee as the poster child if that's what gets people motivated in taking action. But in reality, we have to think about all pollinators, even those that are a little less glamorous. Well, you and I both know what pollinator are, but can you give our listeners who might be hearing this and listening, wanting to know more about it, some more background on what exactly is a pollinator? So the pollinators are responsible for reproduction of over 85% of all flowering plants and 67% of all agricultural crops. So basically any plant that does not is not able to reproduce either on its own or with wind pollination needs these insects visiting it to be able to reproduce. And bees fall into that category, butterflies, and then moths and hummingbirds. But even some of the insects and species that we wouldn't think about, like beetles and flies and wasps, they also contribute to pollination. We had an insect hotel at, by our pollinator garden, and we created all sorts of different little habitats for them. And it was pretty interesting and very educational. Can you tell us what would be the number one threat to the bees? I would think the number one threat to the bees, and this is going to be kind of multi-layered, but it would be habitat. It would be having those, first of all, undisturbed areas, because a lot of our native pollinators, they have to overwinter. So sometimes they're overwintering in plant materials or burrowing in the ground, or maybe even in tree bark. But also they need to make sure that those habitats, in addition to being undisturbed, as far as having the soil or plant material moved or cut down, that they're not being exposed to chemicals, because those pesticides, they are intended to kill pests. And these insects, you know, the, those chemicals are not, they don't discriminate most of the time. So even if they don't cause immediate toxicity, those insects are picking them up. And if it's a species that exists in a colony, they're bringing that back home or it can interfere with their reproduction, their ability to function and forage, all of those things. So it's really making sure that they have a habitat where they're able to reproduce over winter and not be exposed to those chemicals. One of the things, more than a couple of years now, before we closed, there was a whole lot of information coming out about neonicotoids. And Banky's made the decision at that point, we stopped selling any products that had it in it. And we also stopped using it around the nursery. And we felt it was very important. There's a lot of information. If any of our listeners want to go to the website, you can find out more information about how you can take care of your garden and everything and not use these harmful chemicals that wipe out our pollinators. Well, here's a question for you. If I wanted to keep bees, where do I start? What do you recommend? So when I first 
started to really take action into getting started with bees, my first step was to reach out to a friend who had just started bees the year before. And then the immediate answer that I got when I said, hey, I'm interested in doing this, Are you, will you help me, was you need to take a class. And at first, that felt like a brush off. But I took the suggestion and joined my local beekeepers association in Maryland. We're very lucky. We have a lot of most of the time, county, sometimes regional level beekeepers associations, and they're made up of amazing people that are really driven by science and research and mentorship. And once I took that class, I realized that her suggestion and telling me that she wouldn't help me until I took a class was really for my benefit and also for the benefit of my future bees. These creatures are so complex. It's hard until you get get that education to understand like why you need to have a formal class. Yeah. We used to have Bumba come out to the nursery and do classes and and talk about it and they would bring beehives out. It was really awesome. Yeah, it sounds really cool. It's nice cuz there's a lot of options for education. Most of the local in Maryland at least beekeepers associations host an annual class and they're usually in late winter. And they're set that way purposely so that by the time class is over, it's time to get bees. So people can kind of transition right from the classroom into doing that. So it's not like a one class and you're done. It's a, a course. Yes, usually because there's so much information to absorb. And it, it's wild how much it is. The Carroll County Beekeepers Association, which is the one that I'm a member of and the organization whose class I attended originally, it's a six-week course. And it's two hours a night, once a week for six weeks. And honestly, they could do it much longer. There's that much, but that's the right amount to get people set up without completely flooding them with too much information. So then they give you places where you can get all the things that you would need to be a beekeeper? Yes. And there's entire classes that go over the equipment and what it is, the things that you must have, the things that you might want to have, the things that you really shouldn't waste your money on, all that. They go in depth and they have provide a list of vendors for both buying your bees and buying all of the equipment that you would need. Wow. So it's definitely the resources are out there if someone wants to do this. I think that is really good. Everybody, the listeners, check your county, what your extension agencies, right? Yeah. And and I would also say too, it's hard because most of the associations do those classes at the end of winter. So sometimes if somebody wants to get started a little later, that class opportunity might not be there. But a few years ago, the Penn State Extension Office, they created an online self-paced beginner beekeeper course. So somebody who's not able to get one locally, you can sign up and do that one online. And it's it's pretty affordable and you can take your time through it and then also, you know, print off the resources to have them as a guide later. Oh, that's great. And you said you've joined the bee clubs in your area. You mentioned that, I think it's what, Westminster, Maryland, Bee City. So that's actually something different. So the club that I'm in is the Carroll County Beekeepers Association. And then there's also a state level organization, which is the Maryland State Beekeepers Association. Okay. And then Bee City USA is actually a program through Xerces Society. And I worked with the now president of the Carroll County Beekeepers Association to create a proposal. And I believe it was fall of 2020. We approached the city council and mayor of Westminster and presented during one of their council meetings. 
as to the Bee City USA certification program. And what it is, is there's an application that's filled out and a city has to list all of the things that they're currently doing to protect pollinators and all of the things that they will be doing. And a lot of that is related to integrated pest management of the open spaces in the city, as well as, you know, the trees and stuff along the sidewalks, and then also outreach at all of the community events. And we were thrilled that the city of Westminster was very open to this and very supportive. And one of that comes from they have a lot of folks that have have long histories in agriculture and environmental science and landscaping that are involved with the city. So they welcomed that program and supported it with open arms. And we got it official last spring of 2021. And then now we're up for renewal. And we actually just had a meeting yesterday to yeah, work on planning, planning and planting some of the pollinator gardens in the city parks. You're very involved, it sounds like. And I know you have the farm going. I was looking on your website and you have you were talking about something about ther- therapeutic beekeeping programs. What is exactly is that? So that is actually, and it's actually the same person who helped spearhead the Bee City USA program for Westminster. She's the president of the Beekeepers Association for Carroll County. And she actually started along with her adult son, I guess about two or three years ago now, an organization called Mission Believe. And that's Believe with two E's in the front, like B. And they purchased a small farm up in Tawnytown, Maryland, and it is just open land and a barn. And they actually house a nonprofit there that provides beekeeping education, mentorship, and support for veterans and first responders. And one of the things that motivated her to do this is there's been research that has shown that beekeeping is therapeutic for individuals with PTSD. And that was a big motivation. And part of it is because the act of beekeeping requires so much focus and attention. And obviously, if you're not giving that focus and attention, there is negative consequences in the form of stings. (laughs) But it's been really interesting to read the research on it and then to see it come to fruition with her organization. Would you be able to send me information about that and we can attach that to our show notes when it when we go live? Absolutely. Yeah, I can send you her website, which has lots of information on it. That'd be great. I, I think a lot of people would be like to learn more about that. Now, I know you have a website that you and your family, you raise the bees and you, what does your business do with the bees? So we have the bees. We harvest honey from them usually around July of each year. That always kind of varies just depending on weather and the type of season that the bees have had. And then we also make some other hive products. So we use the wax that's collected from the hive and some of the honey to make different skincare products like lotions and salves. And we even use it to make food wraps where we take cloth and coat it with beeswax and plant oils and a little bit of pine resin and it makes a nice little cloth wrap that's reusable and washable that you can wrap around a sandwich and skip the plastic bag. We were talking about that earlier and I saw it on your website and I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. I find that very interesting. I can get rid of my saran wrap then. Yeah, and it's perfect too even in the fridge for you can, you know, use it to seal like the top of a bowl if you have leftovers or a casserole dish or whatever. It's But what about in a microwave? You know how you put saran wrap over top of like a potato or something? 
that you would not want to do because you would definitely end up with beeswax all over the bottom of your <laughs> your microwave. <laughs> I don't want that. What about, so you sell the honey. Do you sell it all online? We sell it online, but then there's also a lot of opportunities through the Beekeepers Association. We set up booths at a lot of different community events and the booths are twofold. We have a lot of different children's activities that educate kids on pollinators and pollinator protection. We do things where they can make uh, wildflower seed bombs or hand-rolled beeswax candles. And then the other side of that is that we also sell products as a club and a percentage goes back to the club to fund, you know, outreach activities and materials. And then the rest of it, there's a, the majority of it goes to the individual beekeepers whose products were sold. Now, do you put on your website what events you're going to be going to? I don't. I should do that, shouldn't I? <laughs> yes, 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 you should. So to our listeners, we'll urge Kate to do that. And when she mentions things on Facebook, maybe put a little notice out that she's going to be at such and such location. We'll put Kate's website there. Tell everybody again the name of your website. It's www.bumblingbeeapiary.com. Okay. So I want to switch a little bit. You've been taking courses with sustainable food and farming. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. So I took 17 years off from college, did a semester after high school, and then waited 17 years. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Till life got way complicated and then decided, you know what, it's just time to do this thing. So I'm actually working on a social science degree, which is more my primary career at University of Maryland. But the awesome thing is that they're very flexible in where I can earn my elective credits and they don't have to be related to my degree at all, which is amazing. So I've actually been able to explore personal passions and earn college credit for it. So my the two colleges I've actually taken those courses from are University of Florida and University of Massachusetts Amherst. So University of Florida has an entomology department They are a land-grant institution, so they do a lot of extension work, and they have a series of courses on beekeeping. So I was able to take Beekeeping 1, Beekeeping 2, and Honeybee Biology, which was really neat because the professors who teach those courses in the bee community, they are highly regarded. So it was people who I've heard present, I've read their research papers, I've heard people rave about them at different beekeeping conferences and events, and I got to take these classes with them. And then the other classes that I'm taking are through University of Massachusetts Amherst, and they have a 15-credit sustainable farming certificate program. So it's you take five three-credit courses, and you can kind of mix and match and get a certificate at the end of it. And so with them so far, I have taken... Oh, it was Homesteading 101. I took over the winter and that was neat. It kind of scratched the surface of beekeeping, fermentation, gardening equipment and tools. It was touching all of the areas of homesteading so that you can get more information and decide what else you want to dive into. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll actually be starting a summer course with them that'll be soil science. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's been nice to see that these colleges are offering these types of courses even remotely. So you don't have to attend in person. Even folks who want to attend remotely are able to do that from their homes. Well, what else are you doing on your farm besides beekeeping and raising children? 
So our property is about 8.8 acres and it is a lot that we pulled off of my in-laws farm, which is where my husband grew up. And altogether, our property in theirs is about 96 acres. So on our property, we have a small orchard with a variety of fruit trees. We have the bees, which the number kind of varies. Sometimes we're combining colonies or splitting them, but on average, it's about a dozen. And then we also have chickens, which we just use for eggs. We don't dabble in meat chickens. And then we have some Nigerian dwarfs who we actually added this year for dairy goats. And then on the larger part of the property, we raise beef cattle, which are an Angus Hereford cross. My husband always loves the Angus beef cattle. Yes, they do a mix of my in-laws, actually their college degrees. My father-in-law has his bachelor's of science in forestry and my mother-in-law has her bachelor of science in agriculture. So they've been into farming since they purchased the farm in their mid-20s and they've always used an Angus Hereford cross. So it's a good mix. They don't get huge, they're easier to work, but you get the, you know, the marbling of the meat and all the benefits of the Angus. What what's the name of the farm? Theirs is actually called Fisher's Poplar Lick, and that's after a stream in New Germany, State Park, up in Western Maryland in Allegheny County. That was always one of their favorite places to go. It goes through Savage River State Forest and New Germany State Park. And that place was pretty special to them. So they had named their farm Fisher's Poplar Lick after that stream. Yeah. That's great. And did you name your farm? We did. And actually ours, I have to give credit to a friend who, when I was trying to think of what a good name would be, and and at that point we were just focusing on the honeybees, he had mentioned bumbling bee mainly because I am notoriously clumsy and it was a perfect fit. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) Well, at this point, I think we're going to go over to our green thumb segment that I do on every podcast. And my question, the same questions I ask all of our guests. So what is your most influential gardening resource? I am a huge supporter of land-grant institutions and extension services. So I always will defer back to University of Maryland's extension service and resources that they provide both in person and online. Yeah, they are really great. We've always had a great relationship with the extension agencies in Prince George's County at the nursery. So tell me, what are your two favorite plants? So my two favorite plants, as far as like a container flower, would have to be lantana. Love it. I love, I've always been drawn to it, like the colors of them. And it was really neat. I have a one of my dearest childhood friends spent 10 years in Southern California. And I remember the first time I visited her and saw Lantana like growing wild in a huge bush. I was so jealous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are great. And they like the heat and drought and they just are very forgiving. What else do you like? And then mountain mint would be my other one, sort of the, like the Virginia varieties, because you have that nice smell, a nice flower, but they're not quite as rude as far as spreading <laughs> as other mints. That is true. So can you finish this statement? When I'm not gardening, I also like to. So what I like to do and what I end up doing are two different things because I do work full-time, farm, kids, and college. But when I have those free moments, honestly, I just like to sit and observe 
the animals and plants on our property. I get a lot of enjoyment of just being able to take the time where I don't have to do and I can just sit and watch. I've seen pictures of your farm. So I think that you do have a very beautiful landscape that you can look out over. I envy you. I have three acres, and but I look over a farm across the street and it's always been wonderful living here and being able to see the different seasons. That's great. I want to let everybody know that if you'd like to check out Kate's company, I'm going to have everything, like I said, on our notes that you'll be able to see. You can also find her on Facebook and Instagram. What names would you be under on those two social medias? On both of those, it's Bumbling Bee Apiary. Okay, that's easy enough. So anyhow, Kate, I want to thank you for joining me on the Beyond Banky's Gardening podcast. I really appreciate you coming out today. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Okay. And for those of you that are interested in planting pollinator garden, you can also you can contact Kate. Maybe she can give you some heads up on different plants. And you can also go to beyondbankies.com, type in pollinator in the search. And we have so many wonderful articles on different plants, annuals, perennials, woodies that you can add to your garden and help our pollinators. And we'll let you know what works and what doesn't work in the Maryland, D.C. area. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Beyond Bankies Gardening Podcast. If you did, Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast and share this episode with your friends. Be sure to check out our new public forum on our beyondbankies.com. I'd love to have people ask questions. We have a lot of horticulturalists on there just waiting to answer your questions. I hope you join us next month for another episode of the Beyond Bankies Gardening Podcast. And as always, it will air the first Thursday of each month. So once again, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Till next time, this is Stephanie Fleming from Beyond Bankies. I want you to stay safe, be happy, and remember, if you truly love nature, you will find beauty everywhere. Bye.